So that was some interesting news. It looks like Dr. Haller ends up uh, having to be working right now. Apparently, there was a case that came up, so he's in the hospital working, and he won't be able to join us. But uh, we were going to talk about this um, No Surprises Act, where doctors and hospitals have to pay out of or, or get paid a out of network or a negotiated price for uh, care that's given when. Um, they're not in your network and then you go in for service. And, and it's it's been a hardship for patients when they go into the if you've gone into the emergency room and maybe you have, you know, United Healthcare, or you have uh, Aetna or you have, uh, you know, Anthem. And I think Anthem's changed their name now um, or Cigna. And if you're anesthesiologist, should you need emergency surgery or the surgeon who's on call that day or, you know, even the hospital isn't on your network? And we're seeing ever more limited and narrow networks. Um, then you get into uh, you know into a problem where they charge you, uh, you know, they basically the hospital charges you out of network prices. And if you have some out of pocket payment, you and the insurance company potentially, well, you would be liable for it because you didn't go to where your insurance company told you to go. And the insurance companies, look, I was told by a healthcare attorney this week. And I hope this, by the way, I'm Randy Tobler. Uh, if you're just joining us, this is the Tobler Show. We take a little bit different tact on a weekend show like we have, where we've got a few hours every Saturday morning to to talk in depth about the issues of our day and what it means for the sustainability. <laughs> you thought I was going to environment, the sustainability of our country, because these issues are examples of why policy issues driven by flawed human beings can not only affect you in this case with healthcare. Uh, we talked about banking last hour, but eventually we'll bring down an entire country. If we allow special interest groups to gain too much power, you may be a part of a special interest group. You may be a part of a union, a teacher's union, for instance, that, um, you know, maybe didn't didn't do our children such a good job with their uh, collusion with the CDC. So this is just a general swipe at big picture policies, endorsements, decisions made at high levels of power and influence that affect our lives. And we have to continue to call out the the unethical and often immoral behavior behind them. And that's what I do. So if you enjoy it, um, please uh, make sure you tune in every Saturday. If you don't, tune in every Saturday and let me know why you don't. <laughs> Call me, 314-912-1019. We have, uh, because of a couple of uh, guests that weren't able to make it this morning that we had scheduled, we were able to uh, have a chat, just you and me and Leah. 314-912-1019. So anyway, going back to the healthcare issue, I had a healthcare attorney, uh, highly experienced. This guy's been in the business for decades. And we were talking about healthcare, and he said, You know, it all started back in the early 90s um, when, remember, when Hillary had her push, when Bill Clinton was in office, Hillary Clinton wanted Hillary care. 
and it was put uh, put down and it didn't make it across the finish line. But those were the seeds of nationalized health care that were planted into and represented the ideology coming from the Democrats, the left, the progressives and endorsed by many moderate um, and uh, moderate Republicans. Nationalized health care in the form of Medicare and Medicaid uh, may sound on the surface a good a good uh, a good strategy for providing care, but it turns out to have been one of the most wasteful and um, disruptive systems that we've ever had. Medicare and Medicaid have become absolute albatrosses on the medical system and on your care. You still get good care because of the good hearts of the people in the medical system. I can say that. But those hearts are getting tired. They're getting myocarditis of sorts because they're getting tired of a federal government that tells them on the one hand to march lockstep to a bunch of silly rules. Many rules are very, very silly that doctors, hospitals, nurses, respiratory therapists, pharmacists, and others have to work under. And on the other hand, being paid less and less and less to do more and more and more. And people are either getting out of the business, burning out, or when they meet you at the at the bedside or in the consultation office, um, it's not the same kind of, a, of an interaction that you deserve. You deserve better. And they want to do better. I can tell you. I know this personally. I've been on the administrative side and I've been on the practice side. I remain on the practice side. Um, and why? It's because of centralization of power. And it's because people who need to protect their bureaucratic jobs do their bureaucratic jobs and create more bureaucratic work. That's what they do. Is it any surprise? You've probably all been to auto shops or maybe you've had a repairman come in and you asked him to fix one thing and the next thing you know, there's 10 other things that they wink, wink, find wrong that need to be fixed. And sometimes that's honest and sometimes it isn't. We humans are just flawed individuals. We're broken people. And if it's we've lost our moral and ethical backbone with the breakdown of the family and, the, and, and frankly, faith traditions in this country. And, um, you know, if not held in check, our, our sinful flesh, to use the old good book term, is going to uh, get out of control. And you can't depend on the government to legislate these things. It takes, you know, I don't know how people at United Healthcare, at, at, at Aetna, at Cigna, at Anthem, I don't know how they can live with themselves with the obscene profits that they make, obscene profits. And yet they ration your care, they crank on the people giving you care. They make it nigh impossible in many cases to, to process a claim And again, I'm, hey, I'm a capitalist, but capitalism requires a moral, a moral back uh, oversight. Leah, who was that? Who was that? Remember in, uh, oh, Hakuna Matata. Yeah, the Lion the King. Lion King. Yeah, so who was the conscience? Remember there was a the little, the bird over the shoulder, remember? Uh, remember you had in the Pinocchio, every, in all those stories that we all love and we took all our, all the, there's always a conscience. Well, you know, you play it as bumper music. I, you know, any of us who are of a faith tradition, 
we have a conscience. We have an oversight. We have someone that is our someone up above that's our guiding light. That's what restrains us. We've lost that in this country, and I'm just worried we're not going to get it back. And and you see it in the healthcare industry. I mean, uh, you know, healthcare be damned. It's all about the profits. And I don't begrudge anyone making money, but when you're telling people that you're not going to pay them to do what they what they're doing on the provider side, and you're not going to have patients getting the care they should get on the receiving side, or you're going to make it so darn hard that some people just give up. We've got to look at a better way. I, I, I've talked about that for years, and I think there is a better way. 314-912-1019. Well, uh, switching gears. I, I, we have a caller. Okay, who's on the line? Let's uh, let's let's take a call. We have... Uh, Karen. Karen. How are you doing, Karen? Welcome to the program. Thank you for calling. Hi. I'm fine, thank you. I had several, actually several things pertinent to what you're speaking of. One of them was... Having to do with the rally in Jefferson City on Monday about protecting our kids. Um, oh, great! I, I the other night I had on this program on PBS called Donnie Brook. Are you familiar with it? Uh huh. Sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was pretty shocked to hear them say, "Well, since we heard that there was a rally happening on Monday in Jeff City, we thought we would have." For a half an hour straight, um, a woman who is a professional testifier for transgender issues, they had her on with her daughter, who is now her son, for one half an hour straight with with nothing at all on the other side. I, I, I was in wow. shock. <laughs> Well, I thought Donnybrook um, was supposed to be a back-and-forth debate, not just a one-sided monologue. Well, okay, they have their first half an hour, which they're interesting little group of people. They're interesting little group of people talk. And then the next half an hour is where they interview one person. And this was a half an hour. It, it just took my breath away that... But we kind of know that now. I think this is what PBS is. Um, but yeah, the propaganda broadcast system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the other thing, I'm <laughs> okay, I should be receiving my farm rent check very soon, and it's substantial. And I am scared to death to know what do I do with this check. I, I'm afraid to even put it in the bank. Well, I, I think it, it's certainly true that if you put it in one of the big banks, uh, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan, uh, there's a I forget the fourth one. I'll, I'll look it up here in a sec. Um, I do TNC. Look, I, I do TNC. <laughs> yeah. As, as far as we know, the banks are in pretty good shape. You might take a look at PNC stock and see if it's dropped less than the others have dropped. I don't know. But... Um, uh, you see, you're you're expressing, Karen, what I think a lot of Americans, despite what they hear, they're worried about. I mean, when they hear that banks that, you know, people that invested that were depositors in them thought were solvent and in good shape really aren't, you begin to wonder. All I can tell you is I talked with um, uh, Jackson Hattaker, I believe is Hathaway, Jackson Hathaway, president of the Missouri Bankers Association. Now, he's president of the Missouri Bankers Association, but... 
I had both a pre-interview and then an on-air interview with him. And I, I felt confident that he said, look, it's true that some of these banks that are especially niche banks, like the Silicon Valley, where they, where they were, you know, that their whole business was was leveraged on that on that that uh, industry. Yeah, a lot of them are at you know maybe put themselves in peril not only because of their niche and lack of diversity in their portfolio, but also diversification in their portfolio. <coughs> but because they were just people wise, they were just mismanaged. They just had bad managers. He said, you know. The banks in Missouri are run differently. And, you know, Karen, to the extent that these regional banks are run by Midwesterners, that gives me a lot of uh, I, I feel pretty good about that. And I don't know who runs PNC, but, you know, uh. I, I don't I don't either. I mean, it's 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 whenever I go into a branch, I use two different ones. There is a complete different staff every time I go in there and they are getting younger and younger. And fewer and fewer, <laughs> so I, I don't get yeah. a lot of confidence um, yeah. in that situation. Well, you know, it's not, I know it, that's it, a local it, thing, it, but it, still, you wonder what what's going on here. Well, I, I think we all uh, look. I, I didn't get to a story. My wife texted me something the other day. In fact, we'll talk about that in the next segment. You'll want to listen in. Um, I, I think more and more as technology has um, grown. And it's enabled people to not have to look one another in the eye, shake their hands, look at body language, watch the way people dress, the way they're groomed. Uh, that tells you a lot about a person. You don't always get that on uh, on technology. Look at it. Look at it. Now, here I am on a in a hoodie on my news talk hoodie. On <laughs> look, I should talk. But I'm just well. That Saturday happened mornings, to me actually in one of of the branches I went in. I had a question, and this kid. Actually, he was speaking about his weekend that he had just come in off of, and he said, I'm not real up on things right now. His shirt looked like he'd slept in it for a week. And yeah. I, I was yeah. like, seriously? <laughs> this is this is my banker here. Right. No, and I, I look, I... I Karen, you're 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 preaching to the choir here when you're talking to me about this stuff. I think the way and and again on a Saturday morning when I'm at the lair talking to my friends on News Talk STL, I'm going to be more laid back. But if I was going to meet you in the office as a patient, I would be dressed properly. My you know I'd, I'd you know my hair would be combed. Well, what little hair I have, Karen, would be, you know all order. You know what I mean? I mean, it's 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 the setting. You don't expect everyone to be always, you know, dressed up in a three piece suit all the time. But it tells you something about someone. And I get when you go to a bank and you're putting your money there. Wow. So I don't know. All you can do is ask maybe the manager there and say, look, I need the skinny. Are you guys invested in long term T-bills at low interest rates? Do you have a financial investment portfolio that in any way, shape or form puts my deposits at risk now? If you have more than two hundred, if you have less than two hundred fifty thousand dollars on deposit, Karen, you don't have to worry about it. You're protected. Okay. Well, so they tell us. Would you? If you believe, no, I, I, I don't believe that. anything. I don't believe anything. Well, no, I, I trust that. I trust that. Look, oh, okay. at some point, you have to trust that the FDIC is going to do that. And let me play a Charles Payne uh, rant for you again. Uh, and why don't you? Yeah, let's go ahead and play this and. Um, and just listen to this. And thank you for the call, Karen. But I think you're probably okay. If you, they're not, Janet Yellen said as much that she's not. In fact, let's play the Janet Yellen clip. My favorite person, Janet Yellen. Oh, dear. No, no, no. 
No, but I want you to listen. Can you play that from the beginning, Leah? Yes. Okay. I want you to listen to what Janet Yellen told Lankford. And on the one hand, while she told her that over $250,000, it's a case-by-case scenario, which scares the heck out of me. Under $250,000, you're absolutely okay. So take a listen, Karen. And thank you for the call. Are they fully Mm -hmm. recovered? Every bank, every community bank in Oklahoma, regardless of the size of the deposit, will they get the same treatment that SVBP just got or Signature Bank just got? A bank only gets that treatment if a majority of the FDIC board, a supermajority, a supermajority of the Fed board, and I, in consultation with the president, determine that the failure to protect uninsured depositors would create systemic risk and significant okay. economic okay. and financial so, consequences. Okay. So that, that's enough. What she says is that beyond $250,000, then it's a case by case. But under that, you're okay. So don't worry about that. I'm I'm not worried about that. I'm still making my deposits. Leah pays me twenty two fifty every show, and I put it right. And that's twenty two dollars and fifty cents every show, and I put that right. Leah, will I get a little bonus this week because a couple guests didn't show up, and I had to? I pay you. you. Know, we, Shouldn't it be the other no, way around? Well, don't you? Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, no. We, we, I'll deposit in my, in my uh, regional bank. All right. I'm Randy Tolder. There's Leah Olmstead. We invite your calls 314-912-1019 as we continue and roll along on the Randy Tolbert show this morning. Well, we're back. It's 828. And you know, one of the, one of the things that makes a life rich and wonderful is when you get to work with great people. I get to work with Leah, get to work with the great family of people at News Talk STL, and I've had the pleasure of working with Speaker Tim Jones for such a long time. And it's, um, you know, when you work with big people, you feel better. And uh, Speaker Tim Jones joins us right now, of course, from the Tim Jones and Chris Harp show on on Monday through Friday. And I didn't want to bug you this morning, but I I wanted to talk with you at some length, Tim Jones, about uh, your your perception now that we've been a few days past the Defending America event. I thank you for joining me, my friend. Randy, always a pleasure to join you. Thanks so much for uh, having me on today. And that was an amazing event we had. And uh, the people that got to be in that room, uh, I think they now know how special uh, folks like Senator Jim Talent, Dakota Wood are with their incredible scope and breadth of knowledge and that's that's just some of the things that we can provide folks access to people like that at our uh at our barely two not even two-year-old radio station that's the kind of level of talent connections and access we have and to have you know not just that access but to have important conversations randy more than the uh more than the 30 second sound bites that we hear you know on all the uh alphabet soup networks and the corporate media that was a fascinating conversation of nearly an hour and 45 minutes about how terribly deficient that we as Americans have allowed our military to become. And Randy, we all bear responsibility for that because we are the ones who elect these people to make these decisions about our military. And I, I think it was Jim Talent who near the very end of the conversation said, you know, we can quibble back and forth around the edges on all sorts of things about military spending versus entitlement spending versus 
all the social ills that we face these days. He goes, but you know what? The one thing that's actually in the Constitution, specifically delineated in about 10 different places, is that the federal government is supposed to provide a defense, a defense for our nation, for our enemies uh, at home and abroad. And boy, it's it's hard to argue against the against the proposition that we have largely, once again, like I said, been woefully inadequate in that regard over the last several decades. You're so right. I mean, that was uh, you know, I we've been to a lot of events together, and you did a fabulous job. When I talk about being around big people, anyone in that room knew the four people on that stage: Tim Jones. Dakota Wood, uh, Senator Jim Talent, and Chris Harps are big people. And uh, I'm not talking about body mass index, by the way. I'm well, I'm, I'm definitely bigger people. on the radio, Randy. I'm much taller on the radio, yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know exactly what I mean. and, and I do. Um, I do. I thank you for that, when, my friend. When you're you. right. For, for an event to go well beyond its time and people riveted in their seat, I did not see the body language that sometimes you see when the preacher isn't on task on Sunday morning, you know, people are looking at their wall. I saw none of that. People were riveted because I think, um, you know, when it came, whether to some of the larger strategic type um, thoughts that Senator Talent was very, very emphasizing and his concern over the long view of where we are. And then Dakota Wood, when he enumerated the deficiency in our hard assets, as well as our human assets in our military, I'm telling you, whether you're a pro-Ukraine involvement or anti-Ukraine involvement, at a minimum, I think everyone that left that room that night realizes we have got one heavy lift to get back into a competitive race with China that is running a sprint. And we've been running like a turtle for the last several decades. You know, Randy, the one point I want to make is, and I definitely, I definitely uh, can say I probably am maybe one of the most skeptical about our continued involvement in Ukraine and the mission creep that we've already seen that people said was never going to happen. It's already happening. Now we're talking about, fighter jets. Poland was the first country to make the move on that. But anyway, put that aside for a minute. Randy, my argument would be for those who love the fact that we are doing all we can to help the Ukrainians, for those who hate the fact that we are involved in this matter at all, you know, Randy, I would make the proposition that there never would have been a Russia-Ukraine conflict if our military had been as big and as bold and as badass as it was back when I was growing up in the in the uh in the 80s, early 90s, and if someone like a Reagan or a Trump or maybe even a George W. Bush had been at the helm as commander-in-chief. And, Randy, you know, I have evidence for that. During We, we, we now see, you don't, even, you don't even have to look at ancient history. During Barack Obama's presidential term, when Joe Biden was vice president, Vladimir Putin had no qualms about invading Ukraine for the first time taking a huge swath of the eastern part of that nation that we refer to as the Crimea and never giving it back. During the four intervening years of Donald Trump, Vladimir Putin lifted not a finger. And then the minute Donald Trump was gone from the White House and Joe Biden was back in, he was making moves on Ukraine again. It seems that Ukraine's borders, Randy, shrink when one particular uh, presidential, uh, when one particular party is in the White House versus when another is not. No, you're so right. I mean, it, 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 you know, I, I, I think you and I talked about it. Uh, I talked about it with Susie Moore. I talked about it with several of the attendees the other night. If you think about it, 
there I can't think of a of a time in in world history, much less American history, Tim, when the Reagan mantra borrowed off of the Roman mantra of peace through mm-hmm. strength mm-hmm. didn't work, right? And look what China's doing to us now. I got a feeling China could do to us what Reagan did to the USSR just by making themselves so strong, so mighty, so threatening, so menacing that we just say, no mas, we stand down. God help us if that ever comes to, to fruition. You know, Randy, the, the thing that, that I know aggravates the liberals and especially the far left to this very day is the historical fact that Ronald Reagan was largely responsible for toppling the once mighty Soviet Union without firing a bullet and without launching a missile. Yes, there were incursions and there were things around the edges over those years, but we did not engage in any, it did not require a, uh, a massive uh, it, uh, a massive invasion of a land-based army in Eastern Europe to take down the Soviet Union. It was exactly what you said. It was the doctrine of peace through strength, which is not just a talking point. It's something the ancient Romans proved, as you mentioned, thousands of years ago. Reagan, uh, you know, revitalized that doctrine during his eight years in the White House. And if you look at the four years of Donald Trump, that was the first president in, I believe, 40 or 50 years who was in the White House. Mm-hmm. And we did not get engaged in a new conflict around the globe. No, you're right. And and I think the other, the other point that I take home from Tuesday was, look, if you're going to get involved, you may have to hold your nose because you want to, on the one hand, show solidarity for Western democracy, and on the other hand, show intolerance for, for despots. Okay, you can make an argument that someone needs to be the the Irish cop on the corner. Someone needs to be the world's big brother. Traditionally, it has been America. Okay, let's, if you're going to do it, do it. None of this feckless, oh, we'll, we'll send over a couple of old, you know, you know, 1950s missiles. What would have happened, Tim? And I, I think I heard Dakota and, and maybe Jim say this to, maybe they touched on it between the lines. It's like, what in the heck? Why not just get in there and give them what they need, show overwhelming you know, shock and awe, like we did in Iraq and Kuwait, uh, and and like Reagan did with Grenada. Remember that, even though it was sort of laughed, it it did show resolve and it showed the power that you don't want to mess with. And so, if you're going to do something, get in there and do it right. And we we failed in Afghanistan on that count. We failed uh, initially with ISIS until Trump took it to him, and uh, now we failed in Ukraine by being basically pussyfooting around with them. Randy, you're so right. You know, the maxim that if a U.S. commander in chief, a president of the United States is get involved, is going to get involved in a conflict, that it doesn't matter who that commander chief is. And the military apparatus is going to do the same thing, no matter who is at the helm, because every president would make the same decisions. Of course, that's a faulty premise. You, you, I, I would challenge the, 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 the very presumption of that question, of that statement. So, yes, he, Let's say for those who are absolutely opposed to us being involved in the Ukrainian conflict. Well, unfortunately, the ship has sailed and we are. So how can we get uninvolved as quickly as possible? And it would be, as you say, to go in with the full military force. I'm not I'm not arguing for ground troops at all. But Me like neither. What you Me said, neither. 
no. you like what you said, this piecemeal drip, drip, drip. Well, I'll send you a billion here and a billion there. Maybe a tank here, uh, maybe an armored carrier there. That is that feckless leadership versus just saying, okay, we're not going to give you ground troops. We're not going to fight your war for you, but how can we help? What do you need? We're going to give it to you all at once, and then we're out. Because, Randy, you can yep. see the difference between that attitude versus the opposite, which is Joe Biden's feckless leadership from behind, where he seems to be just wanting to help his buddies out in the military-industrial complex and doesn't really care or not how long this conflict in Ukraine goes and whether or not we get involved in another 20-year conflict like in Afghanistan. Randy, the way we fought in Vietnam, where the political class was in charge, was very different, as you just pointed out, as the way that our military fought in uh, Gulf War One, where the political class made a decision and then backed out and let the military command take over. You can see that when we, we do the kind of, oh, we're going to try to appease both sides, we're going to try to to stay, you know, what, you know, what happens when you try to <clears throat> gravitate in the center of the freeway? You know, you're going to get run over from all sides. So <laughs> make a, a decision. <laughs> you're right. Make a decision and then live with your decision, boldly move forward through it. And then if it's an if it's absolute failure, then you make another decision. But the way the way Joe Biden is trying to piecemeal together our support for Ukraine is probably, Randy, the worst of all worlds. Right. It's almost yes. worse yes. than uh, doing nothing, because, you know, now we're looking at a conflict that could it, it's already dragged on for well over a year. And we're probably looking at years ahead because we have a guy who, as Bob Gates once said, the defense secretary for many different presidents on both sides of the aisle, Joe Biden has never made an international policy decision where he has been on the right side of history. No, you're absolutely right. And uh, again, I mean, it was a it was a fabulous event, and I hope people will take a look at it on the NewstalkSTL.com uh, website or, of course, on our Facebook page because the entire thing is there. And again, kudos to you for a, uh, a managing what was a a tour de force about our nation's security, uh, not only vis-a-vis Ukraine, China, but in t- terms of our whole strategy. Job well done, Tim Jones, and thank you for being with me, my friend. Appreciate it. Thank you, Randy. We have Jim Talon on the Tim Jones and Chris Arp show every Monday at 425. Folks, uh, that's must-listen must, that's must listen radio. Yep. And, uh, boy, if you're if you're sorry you missed out on this event, as Randy said, you can check it out on NewstalkSTL.com. And the next time we have an event, you're going to want to definitely be there because we're going to continue to provide uh, some amazing content and some amazing people, thought leaders of our times, right here in the, uh, in the heartland of mid-America. Yeah. And, and and I will mention, I know that you experienced it and so do I, so did I. When we talk with these gentlemen off of their stage, they are as or more passionate than they are on stage. I mean, and and to to be able to put our listeners in touch with that kind of passion, in-depth knowledge, and true patriotic concern for this country. I mean, I heard I, I'm hearing some real yes. worry and anxiety and concern. That is yes. a, that's a treasure, and I would uh, I would hope that folks that are listening, like you said, listen on Mondays, listen when Dakota's on on our very shows, and uh, certainly take in the events. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate it. Have a great rest of your weekend, buddy. Thanks, Randy. Thanks for all you do. All righty. Thank you, sir. Tim Jones, you can hear him along with my next guest after the break, Chris Arps. 
who uh, we were able to say hi to Chris and his beautiful wife on that event. It was great to see Becky. Uh, we'll talk to Chris, who was, of course, also moderating that event on uh, on Tuesday night, right after a few words from our sponsors. And by the way, remember, it's our sponsors that enable us to be on all the platforms, whether it's the radio, whether it's the app, whatever. That's uh, what makes it happen. So when you have a chance, make sure and you need them. Please give our sponsors a good look. Randy Tobler with you. We'll wrap it up right after a few words. Is there anybody sunshine been turned to rain? I just love that Is bumper music. I tell you, that just gets my Saturday going when you do that. Good stuff. I hope Chris Arps appreciates that bumper music. How you doing, Reverend Chris? You're you're our you're my political <laughs> reverend here on the station. How you doing, buddy? Good to see you. I'm doing great, Doctor Tobe. How are you, my friend? I'm doing good, boy. And uh, I just uh, got done talking with Tim, and you and Tim did a fabulous job on Tuesday night. I have to tell you, it was great. Um, the 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 questions you had, the follow ups uh, off of both your questions, their answers, Senator Talent and Dakota, and of course the listeners. It was a it was a probably one of the best events I can remember in a long time. And I know, and I thank you for that, uh, Doctor Tobler. It was a very great event, very informative, but it was also very sobering as well. Uh, to learn just how sad a shape uh, our military is in right now. Yeah. Did anything that you hear change your perspective on uh, either our Ukrainian involvement or a potential um, assistance? Should there be an attack on Taiwan by China? And just in terms of your general thought uh, pattern regarding uh, whether we should be involved in foreign entanglements, to use George Washington's words, and if so, how much? You know, I understand folks' concerns uh, about being in Ukraine. You know, we just finished a war in Afghanistan for 20 years. And if you remember, Dr. Tobler, you know, uh, Senator Talent, you know, gave a pretty good case of why we should uh, be in Ukraine. Um, he made the argument, or I'm sorry, he made the argument we were talking about in Syria, uh, where a lot of people may not realize that we have 900 troops there, advisors that are uh, fighting ISIS over there and advising um, um, uh, other countries on how to fight them. And, you know, I kind of made the, the comparison to Vietnam, where you remember we just had a few advisors in Vietnam, wasn't going to expand. And then 10 or 15 years later, um, we had 58,000 people dead. So I, I think it's important that we help countries that are fighting for freedom. We are supposed to be the laboratory of democracy, but I think we have to be careful that we don't uh, send our tr- too much of our treasure uh, over there and end up yeah. with another Afghanistan or Iraq. Sorry, long answer. I I think any of us can agree, though, that no matter what we're doing, we better ramp up our production of hard assets. I mean, when when Dakota said, what was it, to to do a Stinger missile or a Patriot, one of the big, you know, the high-tech missiles, they're Uh all handmade. It sounds like, uh, you know, it sounds like uh, Swiss watchmaking. Uh, They don't, you can't roll those out on a production line, he said, and it takes, what, a year and a half to build one of them? Is that, did I Actually, he said, actually, the military told them we can have you a new missile. We start now in two to three years. It was also frightening oh, when he man. said that we only had one tank factory, and that's in uh, Lima, uh, yeah. Ohio. Uh, our yeah. military, and you know, one thing that was really surprising—not surprising, but kind of startling a little bit—was you know when the president Biden released his budget, it had an eight percent increase for defense, one of the highest ever. But you know, as mm-hmm. Dakota said, if you look at 
um, uh, inflation rate, that's only about a two or three percent increase, not nearly enough of what we need. But if you look at other parts of the budget, some of these uh, other offices, they were getting like 16, 17, 18 percent increase in October. <laughs> well, that's because, of course, you get a lot of votes by taking other people's money and distributing it to other people, to voters. Exactly. Right? That works exactly. Very, very well. I, you know, the one thing I didn't get to ask him, and I hope uh, maybe you can ask Senator Talon on Monday. Mm-hmm. I'll be listening or maybe, uh, you know, next time you talk to Dakota. Okay. Or if I talk to him, I, I didn't get a chance to ask him. Um, I didn't want to take time from the listeners. But one of the arguments that comes up often um, when I try to promote military readiness and really making sure that, you know, job one is, you know, military borders, justice system and a monetary system. And other than that, sort of leave us alone, federal government. But, uh, <laughs> people will say people will say, well, what about all the cor- all of the uh, fraud, waste and abuse in the military? I mean, a hammer for twenty dollars, a toilet seat for three hundred dollars. What the heck? Well, I, my only best answer, because I don't know the facts well enough, is, you know what? There's corruption anytime the government does business with anyone. I mean, it's just that's the nature of things. They they, they uh-huh. don't keep as close to track as they should. What is your answer to that criticism on the, quote, military industrial complex? Well, I tell you, you know, we were, we've been hearing those stories about $500 hammers and $800 uh, coffee machines on the, on, uh, on the space shuttle and all of that. I haven't heard any stories like that recently uh i think maybe that was a phenomenon that happened 20 or 30 years ago where we were paying overpriced um prices for some of these goods say it's probably like that now but i think because that got so much publicity that i think that uh, we're not having situations like that anymore look eisenhower warned um after he left office about a military industrial complex i think you can make a case that uh, we kind of have that in a sense that whenever they talk about shutting down a, a fighter a, a fighter a plane line here in St. Louis, what's the first thing they talk about? All the jobs that are going to be lost. So it has become what Eisenhower said to a point. But I think with China uh, resurging and want to reclaim their place as a world power on this stage, we have to be strong and we have to follow what Ronald Reagan said, peace through strength. Yep, yep. And, and let's face it, I mean, I love it when people criticize the Ukrainian effort about corruption there and the d- defense minister there was, you know, taken off with some bucks. I I, I point them back to Hunter Biden, to James Comey, to, uh, you know, Peter Schroff, uh, you know what I mean, uh, you know, Schrock. So, you know, it, we got our own share of corruption here, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. So it's 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 sort of like, uh, you know, when we had the old electric drills that you plug in and if you looked into the casing, you would see you see that sparking you know or right. the, or the old model uh, the lionel railroad there's always a little bit of noise and you know and uh and uh, extra energy that gets lost in the, in power yeah. transmission and that's the way business and industry is hey before we run exactly. i wanted to play at i we put together uh mayorkas actually i think katie fitzpatrick put this together for us <laughs> and you may have played it already mayorkas right. uh, uh, talking to chris wallace and then what raul ortiz played to the d- Democrat-less uh, on, the, on the ground committee hearings at the border last week. Listen to All these right. two clips together. 
at 385,000 got away so far this fiscal year. We continue to refine that number. I've got to do a better job of accounting for the uh, actual encounters. Chief, Chief, I have I have limited time. I just need a number. What percentage of the 1.3 that you know got away? How much more do you think got away? You know that you don't know about. In my estimation, based upon the situational awareness that I have, probably be between 10 and 20 percent, sir. More. Yes. Okay. okay that thank was you. A diff- that was a different Ortiz clip, but there was a clip where Mayorkas is saying the border's secure. And then when he was asked directly, the chief of Border Patrol, Raul Ortiz, this week said, uh, he was asked, is the border operationally secure? And the answer was a simple no, sir. Your thoughts, Chris Arps? Well, I have to say this. You know, the Biden administration has proven that if we want to stop illegal immigration or curtail it uh, greatly, we can do that. Um, border crossings have dropped dramatically uh, since December. I'll give the administration credit for that. But the reason for that, Dr. Tobler, is they have imposed Donald Trump's uh, immigration policies that if you come into this country, uh, if you want to come to this country, you have to stop at the first country that is free and apply for asylum there first. There's been a dramatic drop in the numbers. I will give them that. But it's only because they are following Donald Trump's uh, immigration policies. Okay. Uh, We talked about it earlier. And I, uh, well, in fact, well, why don't we do this? Let's let's go ahead and talk about the Hunter Biden and the oversight committees. Here's James Comer. James Comer at the House Oversight on influence peddling. Take a listen. Number three million dollar wire. Uh, two months after Joe Biden left office, and then the very next day, th- from that account, that wa- Walker account that appears to be a pass-through account, then they started wiring money to Biden family members, plural. And there were three different Biden family members that received a cut from that $3 million, including a new Biden family member that's never before been included in any of these investigations. So our question is, you know, what exactly did they do to receive that money? What was the purpose of that $3 million wire? Now, that's just the first wire that we've actually been able to obtain bank records on. There are many, many more. Okay, you, you put your finger on it there a second there. Okay, you said, what were they doing in return for that money? All right. So, Chris, uh, it's become clear in a memo released by that committee later this week, uh, last week, that uh, three members, including Hunter, Halley, who is Bo's ex, were uh, basically uh, involved in receiving that money. And, uh, of course, an unnamed Biden. Your thoughts? Well, I think this just proves what people have been saying for months now, that uh, Joe Biden and his family, uh, you can basically call them the Biden crime family. Uh, they These people have taken influence peddling to a heights that uh, we have never seen. There are so many suspicious things, uh, Dr. Tobel. I can't wait to see um, these 150 special uh, or suspicious activity reports. Uh, those are reports that are filed that every time uh, $10,000 or more uh, is uh, in a transaction at the bank. You have to report that. Hunter Biden has well over a hundred of those. Yeah. So I think the the the, loop, the noose is tightening on the Biden crime family, and I think that they're making a, hor- a horrendous mistake by that now they are attacking uh, their attackers. Um, Joe Biden or uh, Hunter Biden's attorneys have sued the laptop 
uh, uh, company that may, or that was fixing his laptop, they sued him for invasion of privacy. Uh, I've, it's a distraction, of course, but I think it just puts more uh, emphasis on what's going on with them. All right. Well, Chris Arps, again, a fabulous job, and it's a privilege and a pleasure to uh, call you a colleague on this great radio family we call News Talk STL. The folks on air, the listeners, and everyone. Leah's given me the outside. We got to run. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate <laughs> it, my it. friend. Thanks, Doc. All right. Take care. Hey, guys, thanks very much for being with me. We ran a little late, but when you're talking with Chris and Tim, hey, you got to run late. God willing, we'll see you next Saturday. Have a fabulous week.